Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. And welcome to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm John Norman alongside Steve Harmison this week as we try and follow Neil Manthorpe's brilliant interview with Dale Stain last week. Big thanks to those two. What a seven days it's been with an announcement on Thursday that the UK will host no professional cricket until July the 1st at the very earliest. We'll get Steve's thoughts on that. And what exactly does that mean for the international and domestic calendars? And what about uh, for those involved? We're going to be seeking the answers to those questions and hearing from three very different cricketers at very different stages of their careers. World Cup winner and Surrey bowler Liam Plunkett, Durham youngster uh, Josh Coughlin and Middlesex overseas captain Peter Hanscom all on today's show. So strap your pads on and sit back for the next hour. This is the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. So, Harmy, uh, first up, news of expected. The West Indies series in June definitely postponed. The ECB pushing the T20 blast back uh, to a part of the summer where hopefully they can actually play it. Pakistan, hopefully staying where they are. And lots of question marks about the rest, including Ireland, Australia, the women's game. Goffey has said he doesn't think there will be any cricket this summer. Um, but as we stand here now, what are your thoughts? Oh, who are we to argue with the, the great Sir Darren Goff? Um, no, I, I think he might have a point, to be fair, John. I think he, he will. Um, I think in the ideal world for the ECB, if they can get a bit of the, if they can get the blast in um, and get as much international cricket in as they can, I think that will that will help from a financial point of view of keeping the TV revenue going. But I just don't see it, to be fair. I, I can't see it, uh, even if we did get some cricket in. And talking about the 100 and 0, uh, my former captain, Michael Vaughan, was saying we should be trying to get the 100 in at all costs. Um, I know Vaughan, he's 
sometimes controversially wants to get out there because he's saying you know the, the TV deal was forty million pound more because of the hundred. I, I, for me, I, I know what he's saying, but no, I, I, I don't, I don't think you even entertain bringing the the hundred into into play this year. I think it would be it'd be better if it's just kept in put to one side for next year when it can be done properly and we can be ready for it and all the overseas are there the overseas coaches and everything that goes with that I think that should definitely be put back to next year um, and you know, I, I, I just don't see it talking about football coming back I can't see that coming back either to be fair um, in the way, the way the world is at the moment so it's a shame um, but there's more pressing things in life that are that are more important there are, but there are there are ways and means around around this, and I know English cricket doesn't it, it, it struggles to be played after sort of end of September, but um, you know the, there is the southern hemisphere, and there are avenues to be explored, and I hope the ECB are are thinking seriously about playing our domestic season overseas, potentially in October, November, December, because you know. The, there are a lot of professional cricketers out there who still need to earn a living. Yeah, we're going to hear a few uh, from a few of those as well. well. Look, we'll look at some of the possibilities, I suppose, for cricket being played overseas uh, in a, in a few moments. But in terms of the hundred, uh, I see that um, Tom Harrison has come out saying that the need for the hundred is even greater uh, due to the crisis cricket is facing this year. Most of us expecting it will be put back to two thousand and twenty-one. But, you know, at a time where the world economy is shrinking, where they, at the time where the world is cutting its cloth accordingly and will be doing so for the next couple of years, at a time when we could be facing a recession the size of the deep or rather the, the depression of uh, you know, the last century, is this really the time that the ECB should be gambling, you know, um, the, the, the kitchen sink at a tournament which we don't even know will actually work? Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that. I think that's why I think you have to put it back to, to 2021 to give it the best chance, to give it a time for it to, to the best preparation going into it, have the best players playing and be available for it. Um, and what one well, of the biggest bugbears of mine and, and Goffey's when, when Goffey spoke about it was, you know, the ECB went hard on overseas coaches, the big star names, the Shane Warns of this world, um, and and they'll not be allowed to come if they, if they have it in July, sort of July August time. I'd be surprised if one they're allowed to come. Two, you know, from a health point of view, there'll be a lot of them thinking, right, do we want to be leaving where we are comfortable at this moment? And uh, and there'll be a lot of people in. I think in the the uh, in, in the general public will still be after lockdown skeptical about moving around too much and you know especially or especially even their country and going to different countries. So, look for me, I think there's just too many uh, unvariables there, and I think it, it would be right to move it back. Um, I know the money side of it is huge, but like you said before, we don't know if this thing's going to work or not. And I think it would be a huge, it would be an even bigger gamble to bring it in this year. So I think from a player's point of view, you'd want some time going into it. Let's talk about footballers wanting four weeks, five weeks before they even contemplate playing in a, in a, in a football match. And I think cricketers have got to be doing the same. I think they need a bit of time. And, you know, one thing we'll talk about later on when we talked about to somebody like Liam Plunkett, even the experience 
players need three or four three or four weeks, especially the bowlers, to get themselves in a position to play cricket. So from that point of view, I just think the 100 is too much of a gamble to, to, to start this year. You know, if cricket wasn't so indebted to TV companies, and we live in a 12-month-a-year world now when it comes to cricket and rugby and football, I'm not even sure... Um, that they'd be looking to start the competition this year. I think they might just say, forget it, let's come again next year. But, you know, we don't live in that world. But one of the fears I have is that we are going to make a mockery of what actually is a point of cricket. You know, one of the um, ideas is that the test matches could be played at cricket grounds which have hotels within the ground to help with the uh, the quarantine uh, situation. Um, so grounds like the Aegeus Bowl, and also uh, Old Trafford, which have hotels on, on site, means the players could stay there and it just reduces human contact. Now, that all makes sense from a logistic level. I understand the point of playing cricket when the alternative is to play none. Um, and even though we don't want to watch cricket in stadium with no fans, that is essentially the world that we're living in at the moment. Instead of, if you can't get supporters in the grounds, then what's the point of moving around? So why not just play all the test matches at the Aegeus Bowl and all the test matches at the uh, against Pakistan and all the test matches against West Indies at Old Trafford? But, you know, how far are we going to sacrifice the game just to get it back on TV? I totally agree. And I, what, I, what I take of that is... You, if we are if we are that desperate and it becomes that that desperate that we have to play games playing behind closed doors is one thing and i agree that when the game comes back you have to play behind closed doors but to go to have to have to go to the extreme of playing a test match or a one day international and have the players inside the ground and keep them inside the ground and quarantine them in in like that and only play at grounds where there are hotels. That's telling me that it's not fit to come back yet. And it's not right to come back yet because there's there's a there's a, a need for sport and I'm not just saying this about cricket. There's a need for sport. There's a need for all sports that to get back going, but not to the detriment or not to the, the sacrifice of what's happening in the wider world. And for me, it doesn't matter about the money situation. It doesn't matter. It's a humanity thing. And for me, I don't think that would be right. If it, I don't mind playing behind closed doors. I think that's that's the the first step in a few a long a long rung of ladders steps and ladder to get to back to playing in front of thirty thousand at Lords. I agree with that. But when we're going down the extremes of of having to quarantine players and not give them freedom. Let's 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 think of these players as well. They're human beings. They're not robots. It's not just as, as, as easy as saying, right, you 15 players go and stay in that hotel for the next six weeks. You're going to play cricket five six five days a week, and you're going back into the hotel. You, know, you you still need these players to perform. You still need these players to be free. You still need them to express themselves. And when you put them as when you put you're asking players to do that, I'm not so I'm not so sure what sort of quality, um, or, or how the players are going to be thinking when they're when they're in this this bubble in this situation. So, I think I think that even is a big ask. To be fair, John. So let's have a look at whether cricket can be played overseas if it can't be played in the UK, because there are other countries who have come out of lockdown. They seem to be a little bit further down the road than the UK is in tackling this uh, situation. Uh, three of the countries that have been mentioned, uh, one of them quite incredibly, actually, in the last 24 hours or so is New Zealand here, where I'm broadcasting from. 
in fairness, I was only speaking to my wife yesterday saying, you know, the conditions for playing cricket here, even though we're approaching winter, um, are more consistent than you get in the height of summer in England. So you could actually play cricket here, I imagine, from about September through to, well, certainly till, till April. Um, the other alternatives, I think, are Sri Lanka. They've held their hands up and said that they will be willing not only to help India with the IPL, but uh, English cricket and, of course, UAE, which is where the traditional curtain raiser, well, not so traditional, but the curtain raiser for the domestic game has taken place a few times so for a few years. You actually were on breakfast a couple of weeks ago saying something similar, laughed out of town, but it seems that we're one step closer to one of those things happening. Which country would you suggest would work best if it was called upon for uh, to service English cricket? To be honest, John, I think anywhere where it's it's safe and it's and we are able to play, and you know, there's a little bit of freedom for for players to express themselves and and be and feel as though they're they're in a in a comfortable environment. That wouldn't be a problem for me. Um, whether it's New Zealand, I think the time difference would. Bear in mind, we've, we're trying to help English cricket, and I would imagine there'll be a lot of broadcasting of the games um, back over to back over to England. So uh, there's a there's a time. A, a time difference there in New Zealand, which would be which would be to the detriment of of, of you know of the English support English supporters and uh, the followers of, of of county cricket. The UAE, I think, haven't played in the UAE in that curtain raiser twice. I think I've played in it. Um, that's not bad. And I'd be, as I said this a couple of weeks ago on breakfast, I'd I'd potentially take the championship there in October, November, October, November, and in early part of December. Um, it would help the England players as well um, when it comes to different skills, because obviously it's it the, the pitches are a lot lower, slower, you know, turning pitches more. Um, as well as the England international cricket team are going to India in potentially, you know. I don't see they're playing too many much cricket before Christmas in India, but they're going to play a lot of cricket in India after Christmas. So, for instance, a championship could you have three three conferences of six teams playing each 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 other once in a in a, a an old style Benson and Hedges type at Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Dubai, you know, five or six venues over the course of the, the UAE. Um, and the three teams that, that win their conferences um, go off and the team that finishes with the most points goes straight into the final. The team that, the next two teams that win their conference play each other off in a five-day game as opposed to a four-day game and then play a five-day final. A little bit like the Sheffield Shield had used to have in, in Australia. It's a one-off, it's a one-year thing, and then you go back to the championship as seen as was that Essex one last year. These are things that potentially could happen, and I wouldn't see, I don't see there being too much of an issue with it. We're playing different types. It is safe to move around these countries at this moment, hopefully by by that time. The only thing for me is cost. Who is going to pick up the tab and... Is it going to be conducive to broadcasting rights and is there going to be a demand for it? So it's one thing saying, right, get rid of the 100 because I don't think it's right doing this. There's another thing because that money is not there anymore. Have we got the money to go over for a, a three month or a 10 week period to go over to the um, the Middle East to play in you know, to play championship cricket, which potentially not many people watch anyway? 
Well, plenty of uh, questions there. And hopefully we'll be able to answer a couple, not today, over the next few weeks. Certainly a lot going on behind the scenes um, and uh, also a lot going on with the players still involved in the game. We're going to talk to a couple of those on the show. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Myself, John Norman, and also Steve Harmison, double uh, Ashes winning superstar, really, uh, and certainly one of my favourite players uh, before I got into this industry. Um, and of course, uh, hailed from Durham, which is where we're going to go now. Talk to our uh, first guest on the show today. Um, and really, I suppose uh, you have to ask yourself, how's your luck? We all have our stories in terms of uh, dealing with lockdown, but how's this for a situation? You're a 22 year old man trying to make your way in the game. You've had a taste of first-class cricket. Injuries haven't exactly been kind over the last couple of years. I think I'm right in saying your contract's up at the end of the year. Uh, but unlike what you'd hoped a month or so ago, and that is to be able to make the most of your talent and opportunity, you've got to sit and wait, like the rest of us, to see if and when the season's going to get underway. And that is the situation that uh, Durham's Josh Coglin. Uh, is uh, currently undergoing alongside uh, all of his teammates uh, as well in exactly the same boat. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining us on the Cricket Collective. I mean, this must be uh, not just for yourself, but for every professional cricketer out there, uh, a unique but uh, ultimately very frustrating experience. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, looking out the window this morning to another day of really nice weather, it's kind of very oddly sitting, not doing a great deal this morning. Um, you know, April's normally very cold, quite windy at Riverside. So to be looking out under some sunshine is quite quite moralising, really, that we're not actually out there playing cricket. Um, I think everyone's in the same boat where we kind of just want want this to kind of blow over as quick as possible and, and hopefully get some cricket in this year. Um, it's kind of, you know, certainly for me, a first time where... I haven't been playing cricket in as long as I can remember at this time. Um, and I think everyone's just kind of feeling that frustration at the minute. Um, obviously, three, four, five weeks into a, a lockdown now, we're kind of starting to see some light, but still, um, obviously, the announcement this week of July the 1st being the earliest is, is quite, it still seems so far away. But ultimately, it gives you that call to look towards. How long? We were talking about this just before the break, really. But how long do you feel it would take you um, to get up to speed and get yourself in a position where you would feel you'd be able to partake in a in a one day game or a, or even a four day match if if that was to be available? Um, well, you know, there's only. Obviously, while we're, we're kind of in in the in the house or around the ho- and around our own homes, you can stay physically fit, um, so you can kind of keep your your uh, fitness up to to play in those games. It's a skills that you kind of you need a couple of weeks at least to get back in the nets and kind of get back in the the like the the routine of of training and getting your body right for cricket because they can't really. Like you can't just go to the local cricket ground and stay fit. Um, you know, that's kind of been put on hold for the minute. Um, so, you know, to, to kind of get everyone back into the routine of, of training together and back into the, the shape of of being able to perform 
on a one day or a four day game would probably take a couple of weeks and I mean you know we could be asked to do it in a couple of weeks or we could be asked to do it over four or five weeks you know the picture's still pretty pretty unclear at the minute so so hopefully we'll get word on that soon and then we can kind of go from there as as a club and a, as a country to to get back on the pitch really and Josh, you know, must be even more frustrating to have your kid back from from Notts, Paul coming <laughs> back to coming back to Durham. It, it, you know, an in, injury didn't it, it didn't help him um, at Notts in a in a big move when the likes of Borthwick and Stoneman and a few yeah. others moved on. Um, your Paul's come back and he'll be as frustrated as well because there was a lot of high hopes for him and England. He was yeah. knocking on it sort of. England Academy door, ear tour door, a couple of years yeah. ago, and and having having Paul back, that would have been a a big push. And John mentioned in your last year your contract, but that would have been something else to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously when he when he left that year, I think we played. I was on the academy when he left, so we played together once, I think. And he he well, I made my first class debut. He was captain, so having him back was going to be you know really exciting, not just for me for for the club. You know, I know quite a few of the lads who he's grew up with have, have held him in, in high regard. So, you know, to have him back and hopefully fit and fire and for for what was going to be the start of the season was quite quite promising. Um, and, you know, kind of put us, you know, we, we were close to promotion last year. We missed out on one day cup and T20. But, you know, we, we played a part in, in all three competitions and it was kind of that little, little boost we're hoping for to get, you know, over the line in in one or possibly two of the competitions. Um, so I imagine he'll be as frustrated as as I am, as everyone is. Um, but you know, um, these well, this thing doesn't normally happen, but it has happened. Um, so he'll have to, you know, sit and wait and bide his time, and the same as everyone else, he'll have to be ready to go when when we're called on, I suppose. In in this time, Josh, you, I don't know if you heard a couple, well a few days ago, Gary Neville was talking on on the on Sky Sports on a football program, and he was saying, yeah. giving any advice to any young footballers to go out and try if they come into the game, try and get something else, another string to their bow. I know the PC are very very good, and Matthew Woods, yeah. somebody who used to play with at Yorkshire, uh, drives yeah. the the education program. Is it something you've been thinking of? Because I know you're a young lad, you're in the last year of your contract, not much going on at this at this time. Are the PCA yeah. pushing young players down an avenue which they probably weren't three months ago before this pandemic started? Yeah, well, funnily enough, I was actually just talking about that well, yesterday. Well, I was out on a walk. We've, we've been getting, um, you know, like players have been starting doing different things, you know, writing blogs, doing stuff like this. We're getting emails every day pushing us on an avenue that wouldn't, that, you know, wouldn't normally be happening at this time of year. Um kind of just giving us things to explore from university courses to online courses things like that that you can kind of get your head around and you know it kind of give, at least gives you something to do and and fill your day and you just kind of that way for for an announcement or, or for something to happen um, is, is really pleasing obviously for, for someone like me young last year my contract could you know Cricket might not be the be all and all, so you have to kind of explore other avenues and uh, obviously try and make it the most of cricket while you can. Um, ultimately, something to fall back on.
Brilliant stuff. Well, look, Josh, go, go well, mate, and uh, good luck with the season. We'll uh, certainly be keeping an eye out, but really appreciate your time on the Cricket Collective. Thanks, Josh. No problem. Thank you. Bye. Well, thanks a lot, Josh, and uh, we'll keep an eye out on how it goes for you and Durham this season. But, Harmy, I mean, to be talking about a post-cricket career age 22, that that shows you the pressures and shows you the situation he's in under, but also brings into question you know, the mental health aspect of the game as well, because that's a massive, massive um, and profound life change to have to come to terms with at such an early age. It is, and at a no fault of their own. And we talked about that, John, during the time we had Mark Snorth and Tim Bostock on you know, last month when they said there weren't, it, there were things in place so far down the road, but if it got to end of season and next year, then there'll be some serious consequences to be had for all counties on, on, on contracts. And we, we do have a lot of, we do have a lot of players on, you know, only on one year contracts year upon year in this country from a first class point of view. Um, and it is very, very difficult. So it, it is hard when you know, at a no fault of your own, you could potentially be in that bracket. And that's why I brought up the PCA in the education side. And Gary Neville did say on TV about young footballers coming into the game, making sure they've got something to fall back on because the game is not going to be, and sport is not going to be uh, what it was come um of what 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 it has been before this this pandemic so it's disappoint it is disappointing for for young lads and it, it's interesting to see his brother come back and play because i know the coglan family are very very close and very very tight and um it would be nice to see him play alongside his brother because i did at durham and at my time and it was one of the, the best feelings in the world when you go on a field with somebody who you've grown up with and the mental health aspect isn't something that affects uh... 22-year-olds or anyone, really, it affects World Cup winners as well. Liam Plunkett has fought a, a battle with anxiety in the past and uh, we'll speak to him very shortly here on TalkSport 2 and the Cricket Collective. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. 
In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Outside edge, gone this time, beauty. Plunkett finds that right, demanding area. Oh, he's gone fast ball. Brilliant from Plunkett. Oh, too easy, but Plunkett, Plunkett, how often does he do this? There is the edge. Finally, England finish it off, and Liam Plunkett has a five-wicket haul as well. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Now, go back a, a year ago, pretty much to the day. Uh, next week, actually. And uh, the England team were just about getting ready to start their uh, international season. There was uh, so much anticipation ahead of an Ashes campaign and, of course, a World Cup. England were playing Pakistan at the start of May, would you believe? And our next guest started out pretty much in the uh, the way that he finished, by taking wickets, not going for many runs, uh, and he ended it uh, with a World Cup winner's medal as well. I'm pleased to say, very different uh, uh, surrounds. Liam Plunkett joins us uh, on the show. Liam, I mean, it's been uh, quite a year, but first things first, I suppose, where do we find you, and have you been reunited with your wife yet? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, she's still across the pond in America. I'm... Uh... Not far away from Harrogate, uh, but I can't, I can't complain, mate. As long as everyone's healthy over the pond, and uh, as I said, time will time will hopefully go quick, and then we'll catch up very soon. So, in terms of uh, preparation for the season, uh, what exactly are you doing? I, I imagine that you've got a little bit more space in uh, or around Harrogate than you would do if you were uh, holed up in South London waiting to play for Surrey, but is it possible to keep some semblance of a training regime? In terms of, obviously, exercise, you can obviously keep fit anywhere, but as you said, I am fortunate that I've got a little bit of space to do stuff. Uh, It's quite hard in terms of cricket-wise because there's no, like, at the minute, there's no sort of end result. No one knows when we're going to be back playing and do you need to start building up because you don't want to build up too soon and then uh, sort of overdo it before you get to cricket. So, Try and tick away, and then if a date gets set for when we need to be back in pre-season, then hopefully I can find an area where I can start bowling a little bit or throwing against a wall or something to to get that muscle, the muscles ready to play cricket. But yeah, fitness is good. But as you said, just just tick away. And Liam, talk about the, the fitness side. We've just had Josh Coglin on from Durham, 21-year-old young bowler. Um, and when it comes time to, to play, you're saying two or three weeks for a young player to get used to back playing and you know, action going. But it's a different thing for bowlers as, a, as opposed to batsmen. You, an experienced player, probably one of the fittest one of the fittest blokes I've ever played cricket with, but you still need time as a bowler to get yourself ready. The bowling muscles supple, the bowling muscles toughened up, and also getting you know getting the radar going and, and, and getting it going. How long do you think, from an experienced player's point of view, you'd need to get to get back playing when they say it's fit to do so? I mean, me and you, especially, we need time working our radars. Mate. Exactly. I, was, I didn't want. I didn't want. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. But I knew where I was going with it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it is, mate. Obviously, you can do all the training in the gym all you want, but I think even when the 
that deadline or the time is like we need to start the season here or it's going to start here. You need to be around the players and you need to build up because otherwise people haven't used that. You can ball in the garden, but how how high is that intensity? Yeah, you know people will be throffing at the mouth to, to play or even play in the net. So all of a sudden, if you overload yourself and then obviously something pops and that's totally pointless, isn't it? So I'm sure obviously all the counties and the SNCs are fully aware of that and uh, they put sort of some stuff in place where you just get the muscles slightly moving and when you get back to your county, you can build up. But yeah, I think we've all done it before where you sort of overcook the egg a little bit and you get too excited and end up doing something. And when, when you talk about coming back and playing, there's, there's a lot of talk about... We've been talking about on this show potentially playing overseas in October, November, December, and possibly the UAE or New Zealand has been mentioned. But when you do get back, where what do you see from you know your point of view, and where do you think the country should be going to try and keep the Josh Coglins that we talked about, 21, in the profession for the following season? I.e., from a money point of view, where do you see this country going from a, a cricketing terms to get us to a point where? We've we've done enough in the time scale we've got in this country to get by. I.e., are we looking at just playing white ball one day cricket, or you know, do we see the championship still going? It's going to be a tough one, isn't it? Because you don't want to lose that the champ or the aspect of uh, our core that me and you grew up on, right? You don't want mm. to lose that. That's the tradition of the game, and obviously youngsters still want to play that. But it, it also what's also best viewing on TV that brings in the most money. Uh, uh, it's obviously, I mean, that's a tough question, mate. I, think, I didn't expect I was coming on Mastermind. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean, it is a tough you, one, mate. It's a real tough question, that, mate. Do you think that counties would accept a county championship that was uh, reduced from the, uh, the 18 games or however many, you know, instead of playing home and away, if they were to just say, look, we're going to strip it down, we're going to go for it, but we'll, we'll just play eight games this season... But that will decide promotion, relegation, champions and, and all the rest. Or do you just think, forget that. If we're going to play Red Bull cricket, let's just carve up some kind of playoff or comp- knockout competition. Maybe play against your nearest rival or something. Surrey versus Middlesex, I, home and away. I think for me, it'd be I'd still want to play the eight games. You get a feel of playing different counties. Mm. Uh, you get home and away. It's obviously the, the advantage of that. But to play eight games and... As you say, counties need to buy in and say, "Well, realize it's a short, it's a short season." But if this keeps the game going and keeps it thriving towards uh, what we need to do as a, obviously the county to bring money in and stuff, then I think everyone should buy in and say, "Well, yeah, uh, eight games, it, it is what it is," and up and down at the end. And Liam, you've your, your career over the, you know, you've had a, a long, fantastic career, culminating in leaving. Uh, Lords last year with a World Cup winners medal, fantastic achievement for um, you know for for everybody involved. But there is talk about you, know, you going over to America. What's that? Are you potentially going to go and play for uh-huh. the United States of America in the in the game of cricket? And we all love. Uh, no, I think it'd be take too long, mate. It'd take too long to qualify. Yeah. I uh, I did obviously my wife being American and stuff and. I think you never know where life takes you, and especially cricket. And I want to keep involved in cricket, but I want to be where my wife is. And I know they're trying to build the cricket up over there. And if there was a chance to get involved in some sort of training or how good is it over like, there? I think it's going to kick off, mate. I think the more investments getting put in right now, uh, I think they're laying obviously foundations for it before all this kicked off in terms of uh, the coronavirus and stuff like that. But I, I had a couple of chats, and I said I was interested. Obviously, nothing's confirmed and stuff, and I still wanted to fight for the T20 World Cup place. That was my aim, to 
all of a sudden gets fit this summer, show that I'm still capable of performing and winning games for, for Surrey. And you, you never know if there was injuries and they thought, actually, we won't put you back involved in this World Cup squad. That was my aim. So but I wanted Liam, to do you that. Talk you, know. about, you talk about that. There's a potential and talk about England playing test matches in, in one day as a 2020s at the same time. So that must give you some, you know, a real chance of being back in the fold when you, you were thinking you, you, you possibly weren't. I think, but it might go against what the sort of they were saying a little bit. As I said, bringing youngsters in. So I think I don't know, mate. It is what it is, right? But uh, if if they go down the route and they need me to like sort of fill that void or whatever, or they want to keep the competition, make me involved while sort of this sort of wave goes on. But I can see them going with younger and give younger guys a chance. But uh, as you said, well, no one knows what's really going on. Yeah. Everyone's just sort of guessing at the minute, right? Uh, Liam, I was looking at uh, a couple of articles that you wrote or you were interviewed in the last month or so, and one thing really stood out to me. I was wondering if you can actually give me, me some advice, because you are talking about mindfulness apps, okay? And if I can quote mm-hmm. you, you said, I used to get anxiety and used to struggle with flying, but learned to live with it. Now, anyone who's flown with me, and Harmy is one of those people, yes. knows that... I still struggle with flying. (laughs) So any tips you could throw my way, I would gratefully take them. Yeah, do you know, I I first had it. uh, I was getting on an internal flight to Heathrow and Heathrow to Philly. And and for me, this was something brand new. I'm fairly outgoing and stuff. And all of a sudden, as you feel like you're in your shell and started sweating on my seat and I had to get off that flight. And sort of the easy route to go about it is, oh, sorry, then I, every time I got into a flight, it would happen again. Or, and then it dragged on to getting on a train or being in like a taxi. And uh, it, you can go down the route of where, all right, I'll maybe, uh, what do I do? Do I take some, like, I don't know, medication and stuff? And I didn't want to go down that route. I tried, failed, and I just didn't want to be that person relied on stuff. Uh, and I sort of accepted it. And I was like, what can I do about it? And I spoke to a sports psychologist and, uh, I feel like, I don't know, it, it's a horrible feeling for the people who've had it. Uh, I know it's quite a big thing and people open more open about speaking about it now. But I, I spoke to a few people and then I came across Headspace app, which really worked for me. It's just sort of accepting that you do get anxiety and sort of learn to live with it a little bit. And I did sort of about a, a couple of months of this anxiety, uh, sorry, Headspace, 10 minutes every morning, a bit like training. So you go to a net and you bore your overs and you get used to it and it, it becomes a skill. Uh, and that worked for me and as I said the terms of lifestyle stuff I sort of was better with that uh, so yeah that really worked for me mate and I, I've always stuck with that I'll go in and out of that I'll do a couple of days a week or I might do a full four week cycle but I'll always be there or thereabouts with it Did you help that, did that help yeah. your cricket as well? Yeah it did but the funny thing it was my anxiety it was from yeah. n- not you cricket could... like I could go and play in, fr- in Lords or uh, I was going to say the Riverside, but it didn't pack out that much, especially one days and stuff. But uh, like for a full crowd, I would get nothing. But then if I was a one in a one-on-one meeting, I would get anxiety and I would like thinking about it or just being in a, a queue for something or I would get it. So it was everyone's different. Everyone's anxiety is different. Stress is different. But that sort of worked for me. And eventually like I was like, I, I do have it. If, if, this, if I feel like it's coming on, I know what to do. I sort of put the steps in place and that sort of helped me out. It's incredible how far the game's come that you can speak candidly about this on air and Harmy is in a book which is uh, leans heavily on your own struggles. It, it does show that um, in some way talking about this kind of stuff is, is, is a lot easier. But I suppose 
it's also important that like we just spoke to uh, to Josh Coglin um, at Durham he's 22 again things have got to be in place for those guys coming through as well who may not feel quite as experienced or in control or may feel a little bit embarrassed about saying stuff like that it is, but there's also, and Liam will, will back me up on this, when it comes to, you talk about the game of cricket as well, the human element is 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 ridiculous in the game, especially in the game of cricket, because it's an indiv- it's an individual sport played in a team, and and and, and Liam will I'll, I'll, he'll tell you there, you you fight yourself, especially when you, and the reason why I asked right at the very start about how long it takes you to get going again and getting the body moving and getting the radar going, because you fight yourself for the first two or three weeks rather than anybody else when it comes to pre-season, and effectively that's what's going to happen when you start playing cricket again. I. Uh... Also, it's obviously dressing rooms growing up a little bit. Obviously, it'd been probably a little bit worse for Harmy as well. There was a couple of people you could speak to. Harmy was one of them, but I think back in the day, it was sort of you didn't want to speak about that mental yeah. side of stuff because people might just get on with it. Uh, but obviously, <laughs> Stephen being through it a little bit himself with in terms of anxiety and, and fighting your action stuff, you, you can speak to them guys. And I think as years have gone on. This is from my opinion, not not anyone else's. But I feel now that a youngster could come and speak to me, or come and speak to someone else in the team, like your walks or Jimmy or Brody, and like they say, this is like a problem and stuff. And rather than laugh it off or dismiss it, it's like, well, I, yeah, I've been through a little bit of that myself. Maybe you should go and speak to so and so. So I think it is more open, as you said. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, uh, we're coming to the end of the uh, uh, of the show, but I suppose with a couple of years left on the contract at Surrey, we'll uh, we'll see you at the Oval. Once this uh, coronavirus does its thing, and uh, in a couple of years, just touring around at some of the uh, T20 leagues, I, I imagine before a, a career in coaching. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, we'll see what happens, mate. I'm currently studying for like the strength and conditioning side. As Harmy said, it's something I've always enjoyed, so I want to pass that on as I get older. So we'll, uh, I'll keep playing as long as I can and see what avenue that takes me to. Brilliant stuff. Well, uh, Liam, really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, well, congratulations for what's been an absolutely incredible 12 months and, and, and really appreciate you and, uh, and your honesty. It's, uh, Cheers, Liam. Liam Plunkett, World, World Cup Cheers. winner, Cheers, uh, joining us on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Welcome back to the final part of the Cricket Collective. I'm John Norman, Steve Harmison alongside me. And I'm pleased to say uh, that you're listening to Breaking the Boundaries with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Joining us on the show is David Smith from the Institute of Cricket. Uh, David, thanks for joining us again. I suppose uh, you would have been just as interested as as any by the ECB announcement that no professional cricket will be played um, before July the 1st. How does that affect clubs all around the country? More interested in what Boris Johnson's got to say, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. Look, thanks firstly for having me back on the show. It's um, it's obviously... uh, you know, such a challenging time at the moment for for all cricket. You know, not just uh, professional clubs, but but sort of recreational cricket as well. And you know, I saw the recent um, statement as well from Dominic Raab about the fact that there might not be any amateur cricket at all this you know this summer. So you know, I think as much keeping an eye on what the government are saying as as much as the ECB at the moment. And uh, I think all clubs are just trying to be as flexible as possible. You know, obviously there's no cricket at all at the moment. There's no there's no sort of uh, view as to when cricket might start, but you know, I think clubs are just trying to be as active as they can do in the community. Lots of online content. I don't think I can do any more cricket quizzes at the moment on, on Twitter and things like that. But, uh, 
But yeah, you know, I think everyone's just sort of trying to position their club in the best possible way so that once we do get the, the nod that cricket might be able to restart, then, you know, clubs are trying to be proactive and look at maybe extending the season further, maybe running junior training between July and October. But, you know, things are, things are just very much in, in the hands of the, uh, the government, I would say, at the moment, more than the UCB when it comes to recreational cricket. David, when we get the go-ahead from the EC, or from the ECP, from the, the government to say we can start playing again, is there, a, is there a one rule that suits all? Which, what I mean by that is, are the ECB saying to all the leagues and are all the leagues on board to say the same thing to their respective leagues that this is going to happen? Or is it a case of, right, cricket starts, get on with it. Your league can do whatever you want and your league can do, i.e. you can play 50 overs, you can play, you know, the Premier League can play their time stuff, they can play the 2020. Or is it well, moving together as one um, recreational game to, to hit the goal, which is potentially get the best possible cricket in for our clubs come the end of September? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be the fact that everybody will move, in the, you know, in the same way, you know, and, and be very much led by the by the information the ECB pass on. I mean, you know, fair play to the local cricket boards and to ECB. There's lots of content coming out from them, and they are staying in, in touch with clubs to to keep everybody posted on where things are at at the moment. I mean, at the moment, the very much the the communication that's coming out is that we've got no visibility on when things are going to start. It's very much we're just following following government advice. But you know, I think that clubs will. You know, everyone's desperate to get back into playing cricket. You know, so whether that's in a five-over format, ten-over format, a format where you, the clubs are locked down and you just go and play cricket and you just all turn up in your pads or whatever. You know, I think, I think clubs are just so desperate for for there to be some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to just playing some form of cricket this summer. So, you know, but yeah, very much I think it will be led by the ECB and and, uh, and their um, information that they pass down to clubs. Are you? taking your guide from football as well. I think a lot of professional sports are almost watching and waiting to see what happens with football. There's so much money involved in that sport. It feels like that will be the first one to go. And as soon as that does, then the rest will kind of follow. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, you know, there's, there's people looking around, you know, the world of sport at the moment and seeing what other what other countries are doing with regards to their sport. I've seen, seen the fact that Germany's football is going to be coming back maybe in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, yeah, I think football will, will lead, you know, when it when it comes to professional sport. Uh, you know, I, I get the feeling that behind closed doors, international cricket and possibly the 2020 blast might take place this, you know, this summer. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, football will, will sort of lead and, and everybody else will be watching to see exactly how that how that plays out in terms of playing games behind closed doors. And, and, uh, and yeah, so I think everybody, whether it's professional cricketers, recreational cricketers or, you know, just supporters are desperate for for something, you know, you know, some some form of light at the end of the tunnel this uh, this summer. And and Deborah, can you see the? I know you, you talk about the, the the club sides, but can you see junior cricket starting before adult cricket? And I mean, what I mean by that is the the kids are look as though they potentially could be going back to school relatively yes. soon. Could you see the ECB given a directive that junior cricket can start, but adult cricket can't? I think I, I do think that's a possibility, you know, because as you say, the, the schools are going to be looking to go back potentially in the next two to three weeks. So uh, I, I think that there'll be a lot of social distancing measures in place, you know, so maybe reduce group sizes and, you know, trying to limit the amount of people that are sort of participating in the session or watching the session. But, you know, you could definitely see the, the junior cricket kicking off. And I don't think that that'll be in the form of matches at the moment. I do think that training could, could begin to take place. And, you know, we're already starting to think at the Institute of Cricket about what sessions we could, you know, look to look to run and how, 
you know, we're, we're just trying to be as flexible as we possibly can be. But, but yeah, I do think that junior cricket could start before senior cricket gets going. Um, and I just think that there'll have to be some social distancing measures in place for a long time to come. That's David Smith at the Institute of Cricket. Well, uh, we've still got a few moments left in the show, so uh, let's squeeze in another uh, little bit of audio because uh, being based here in New Zealand means that I'm also around during Australia time. And uh, Peter Hanscom, the international, uh, the Australian international, was speaking to the press recently. Of course, Peter named as Middlesex captain for the next couple of years, and I just asked him um, where he stood in regards to that contract situation with the county. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, they said they're going to look to try and start you know, cricket at the end of May, start of June. Um, but, you know, given the situation, especially in England, uh, you know, that looks unlikely, um, but I haven't heard any updates since. Uh, I've been talking to Middlesex, uh, you know, each week and, and the players to... Uh, to get an understanding of how you know they're feeling during these times and what they're doing to to keep themselves um, you know entertained and busy and and not getting uh, stuck in a rut too much. Um, but yeah, in terms of the contract, it, it's kind of just on hold at the moment. Um, you know, I've, I've obviously got next year as well, but this year we're just kind of just playing it by ear. And in terms of your role as captain, uh, what kind of conversations, if any, have you managed to have? With, uh, with some of your future teammates or, or current teammates, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we've had, uh, we had a lot of conversations during the Australian summer, um, you know, actually, and I was quite lucky to meet uh, a few of the Middlesex boys as well who were out in uh, Melbourne and Sydney playing um, some local cricket. So, yeah, got a good, good feel for the club, um, got an understanding of, of how the boys want to play their cricket. And, uh, you know, I think, we uh, we got a, a good idea of the direction we want to go in, and um, you know to make uh, Middlesex as strong as possible. Um, and lastly, just a, a, a more generic question. I mean, county cricket is uh, a tournament that's well populated by Aussies. Have you spoken to any of the others affected? Michael Nisa was supposed to be playing for Surrey. His contract, unfortunately, isn't going to go ahead. You know, what kind of uh, what kind of a blow is it really to Australian cricketers? Um, who maybe don't operate at the absolute highest end in terms of international cricket uh, when, you know, potentially lucrative contracts like these, um, unfortunately, uh, come to an end? Um, yeah, I haven't, haven't spoken to, to Ness or um, even Nathan Lyon, I think, is, uh, with, with Hampshire. I'm not sure what's, what's going on there. But, um, yeah, it, it's a shame to not, um, to not be able to go over there and play. You know, it's a way that... Australians love going over to to England to play county cricket because it's a way of developing our game and making ourselves better and, and understanding different conditions as well. So, um, you know that that's a shame, but uh, there's obviously uh, a bigger picture at play here, and um, you know the health and safety of well of the world essentially is is you know much more important, and and that's uh, that's something we just wait for and see how we go. So. Peter Hanscom, obviously hoping to get back playing for Middlesex uh, this year and next. But here in New Zealand, quite a few Kiwis have been told uh, not to bother packing their bags. Uh, BJ Watling, one of them, Matt Henry as well, who had such a great couple of years at uh, Kent. So uh, it's affecting a lot of cricketers who uh, really rely on the funds that they get playing county cricket during the summer. Uh, We're coming to the end of the show, Harmy. Next week is going to be a sit-down interview. Yourself... Neil Manthorpe and uh, reunited with Alan Donald. That'd be interesting, won't it? 
Yeah, it will be. Uh, I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to that. Growing up as a kid, watching Alan Donald was fantastic. I had a fortune to work him alongside him um, at England, and I was struggling at the time from a uh, reactions point of view. Um, and it was, uh, it was a real struggle during my mental health uh, issues during my international career when Alan Donald came in right at the very end of, uh, I think of, what did he come in, Duncan Fletcher or, or Peter Moore's time, I can't remember where it was, but I do remember having a conversation with him at Old Trafford and I, I was I was probably the unfortunate one to, to more or less end AD's career because I hit him in just inside of the knee when he was batting at Durham when he was playing for Worcester and he um, he, he, he had to leave the field. I think that was his last first-class game. So it, was, uh, it wasn't exactly what I wanted, the great man, to uh, to be going off. But I faced him a couple of times in his pomp and, geez, everything they said about him, he was definitely one of the quickest out there. So I'll be, I'm really looking forward to talking to him and Manners next week. No, oh, it should be absolutely fascinating. Uh, uh, hopefully, to find out whether he's forgiven you. But uh, just to hear two, two two former great fast bowlers, you know, really discussing the art of being great fast bowlers, I suppose. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I remember talking about just saying a little snippet there about the old the old Trafford conversation. I was struggling, but on the ball down leg side, um, and he said during his time when he. He um, he struggled with his wrist and he started going down leg side. He actually went wider of the crease. And a lot of bowling coaches will, will tell you to go the other way and try and keep yourself upright. He just said, right, I'm not bothered. I'm bowling fast. I'm going with it. And he just kept getting wider and wider on the crease and thought, right, I'm not going to look to try and bowl a wear swing. I'm going to try and just bowl as fast as I can in towards the batsman. Um, and actually, when he did that, he was actually more dangerous because then the batsman just knew they couldn't leave him. They couldn't get out of the way of him. Everything was coming back into him, uh, into the into their sort of rib cage and, and you know, pad area. Um, and he was just as devastating. So it'd be interesting to talk to him about that. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, thanks for your time today, Harmy. I look forward to you being back part of the Cricket Collective next week alongside Neil Manthorpe and Alan Donald. But that is uh, all we've got time for this week. Hopefully you will rejoin us. If you have come into the, uh, the show a little bit late and you want to hear what happened beforehand, you can download the following on podcast and uh, just look for the Cricket Collective. But for now, that's uh, pretty much it. Thanks for listening to Talk Sport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.